0: Hello, my name is Evelyn Cetus. I'm the Engagement Manager at RMIT. Today we're speaking with Bin Dixon Ward and Robin Phelan from the Bluestone Collection. The recent donation of the collection to RMIT is an important acquisition for the university and one with special relevance. I'd first like to acknowledge the people of the Wuwarang and Boorwurrung language groups of the Eastern Kulin Nations on whose unceded lands we conduct the business of the university. RMIT University respectfully acknowledges their ancestors and elders past and present. RMIT also acknowledges the traditional custodians and the ancestors of the lands and waters across Australia we conduct our business. Well, if you think acquiring a significant art collection is only for the wealthy, think again. If you think leaving a philanthropic gift is beyond your reach, also think again. There is power in ordinary people coming together with an extraordinary vision to share their resources and build an important legacy. This is a story of the Bluestone Foundation, founded in 2010 by a group of craft supporters to build a collection that promotes contemporary Australian craft exhibition practice. It was always the intention to donate the works to a suitable institution once the Bluestone collection reached maturity after 10 years. The recent donation of the Bluestone Collection to RMIT is particularly relevant. RMIT has a long history in teaching craft disciplines, and thirteen of the artists represented in the Bluestone Collection are RMIT alumni. A further two are lecturers at the university. Ben Dixon, Ward, and Robin Phelan are both artists. They're both from the Bluestone Collection and are both committed to fostering the innovation an exhibition of contemporary craft in Victoria throughout Australia. They both have a strong connection with RMIT. Ben Dixon Ward is a graduate of RMIT gold and silversmithing and has exhibited in Australia, Europe and North America and is the recipient of several awards for her jewellery. Describing herself as a digital craftsperson, Ben develops her ideas into objects using the tools of 3D modelling software and 3D printing. Robin Phelan teaches at RMIT in the School of Fine Art, where she is a candidate for a Master of Research. Her professional background is in visual arts education, museums, curation and management. Robin's practice engages with place and site as inspiration. Welcome, Bin and Robin. Thank you. Hello.
1: Thanks, Evelyn.
0: (laughs) Well, my first question is, how did the Bluestone Collection get its name?
1: (laughs) I think that
0: one's for you, Robin. Yes, it
1: is. It was a really hard task to find a name. I I understand how bands have difficulty finding a name. So early Foundation members, um, Kevin Murray and Roseanne Bartley and I and Fiona Hiscock, um, the idea of materiality of craft was, um, as we are formulating what, what it was that we were going to collect, so the idea of what was Melbourne and really it's the what we kept coming back to bluestone bluestone collection um we didn't really have any other options, <laughs> so it was pretty easy yes the, you know we you know the craft runs runs along the on the lanes you know we we've all been to the lanes and contemporary art galleries, and um you know we're tripping over bluestone cobblestones all the time
0: yes it's it's lovely
1: um and the names you
0: mentioned in that
1: uh, foundation uh, group they're all people
0: who are um strongly connected um, as as artists and um, um, uh, I would would say curators and critics and generally practitioners.
1: And practitioners Mm. as well and Anna Davin was one of the early members too so we had a range of practice and of course Kevin and I knew each other from Craft Victoria where we worked and in fact Roseanne and Fiona were board members at Craft Victoria so there's a link there as well. Sure. Well, um, as a foundation member,
0: Robin, can you? Uh, I'm really interested in how, as makers and members of the craft community, what prompted you to actually engage in collecting and starting this collection?
1: Yeah, it was a way of um, acknowledging that there wasn't a whole lot of collecting happening in our institutions, and to piggyback off that idea that. Collection wasn't happening, and also there wasn't a lot of, a chance to have a lot of debate around what contemporary craft was and where else to do that other than by exhibiting. So a few of us got together. It took us about a year to work out what what it was going to be. We copied a little bit the Flinders collection, but those collections are to do with making money. So very wealthy people put in quite a bit of money. Um, often use a curator to acquire pieces and then they're sold off either to the membership we knew that we didn't want to do that nor to put in a lot of money and we wanted to kind of fill the gaps and encourage new practice contemporary ideas um, that is a risk perhaps for NGV to to acquire for example so um, that's where we're and the key thing that we decided to do and I ended up calling the old accountant from Craft Victoria Kevin Nelson and I said, we're doing this, what, you know, what should we do? How should we structure? And he said, incorporate. Make sure, go through consumer affairs, get a model rules and incorporate yourselves. to protect your direction, directors and helps you make a structure on how it's going to work.
0: Um, and what are the, the ramifications then of being incorporated?
1: Well, it ended up... Creating a key provocation, which is what I'm really interested in, is that this collection, even though we keep it in our homes, it then gets donated to an institution. So when you're incorporated, um, you're a non for profit. So we weren't just we couldn't we can't sell our assets, which is the work. Uh, it needs to go. If say for example we were to to no longer exist, we would need to give our assets, the collection, to a like minded association, and The outcome of that is to find someone to donate it to who would love and care and have have this great access to contemporary craft that hasn't been collected.
0: Mm. Wonderful. Um, So it's been a decade uh, since the collection began and in that time you've had new members come in. Bin, when did you come into the uh, Bluestone Collection?
2: I think maybe about five years ago. um, I was invited to join by one of the current members of the time who I was sharing a studio with. From the way he was talking, I was really interested in the kind of um, accessibility and democracy of the, you know, the idea of the Bluestone Collection, and Robin's covered some of those things. You know, the annual contribution is very affordable for, you know, someone who's on an artist's salary, which, as we know, is generally or an average of 12,000 a year. Um, And, you know, it's supporting other artists and encouraging exhibiting spaces to exhibit crafts by purchasing from those exhibitions. I think that, you know, you need to look quite carefully to find institutions that are kind of focused on exhibiting crafts. And there's a small handful in Melbourne that do do that. And, of course, then there's a wider range of, you know, artist-initiated spaces and, um, you know, pop-up exhibitions and things like that. But really, we, you know, part of the Bluestone's objective is about building a market for craft, and that means building the reta- the, not just retailers but the galleries that are exhibiting craft work.
0: This is really interesting because um, we... You know the media sort of talk about um, you know the power of, of purchasing and you know things like you know looking at ethical investments. Um, you know this is an interesting um, idea on if you don't be a pa- if you're not a patron yourself of, of these areas and supporting them in some way, um, how is that how is that uh, then going to have a market? How
2: is that craft practice going to to flourish? Mm-hmm. So you have a huge impact then. Well, uh, well, our, our quantum of um, spending isn't. Huge, But we hope that it is significant. Um, you know, I guess our annual spend, Robin, would be somewhere in the $5,000 range, something like that.
1: Oh, well, a, bit, a bit under. But yeah. yes, and sometimes um, finance can shift across to the next year. Yeah, we're on yeah. empty at the moment, so we're just waiting for the, um, the next lot of uh, fees to come in for this year.
2: Yeah, so it's not a massive amount of money, but I think that, um, you know, by spending in galleries um you know that is sending a message that crafts are important and that galleries should continue to exhibit crafts but it's also i think for um the artists that whose work we purchase um you know that's a a line on a cv to be a part of a collection is is an important you know aspect of somebody's um career trajectory and it says to them that their work's important and you know what happens to the work you know in the long term in 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 terms of the bluestone collection for it then to go into a significant institution like rmit's collection really ups that um, status i suppose for the artist and i think that When you are particularly, you know, early to mid-career, finding collectors and finding a place for your work is an ongoing battle and hopefully that that's what the collection can do for artists.
0: Very much so. And, Robin, you said, oh, it's, you know, not a huge amount a maybe 5,000, but I don't think people... Was that on one work? Because I don't think, you know, normally... On several works, or
1: yes, mm. several works. Yeah, works probably range from about eight hundred dollars to maybe not much over two thousand usually. So it's about three works a year. Well, we've just had ten years, and yes. that was twenty-one works. Twenty-one. There
0: we go. That's the so math. There's there's
1: the maths <laughs> on it. Yes,
0: and um, I'm still thinking that a lot of people wouldn't go out and spend eight hundred dollars on a on an art piece. Um, you know that. Uh, to, to build a collection. So mm-hmm. I think that is uh, very, mm. as you said, significant. And as
2: Robin said, that you know the big sort of more uh, investment focused collections, you know each of their members might be putting in five thousand a year. Yes. so that you know their quantums are much, much bigger. and um, you know so we're not in that league of collecting at all.
1: So. Yeah and there's an agenda about investment and hoping you know it gets the works then on those collections get put back on the market. Mm. You know the the value for this collection for me is the debate and conversation that happens around it. So that first year where we were working out, because we were incorporated, we needed rules. What is it that we're acquiring? What is it that we value? We value that the the, um, artists, craftspeople are exhibiting, that they're adding debate, critical debate, about what craft is via exhibiting and us discussing it, um, saying something really important about materiality. And... um, Yeah, being involved in Melbourne, Victoria. So it's a a Victorian-based collection. You need to be exhibiting in Victoria. And so Bin talked really well about the the benefit and the the joy of being collected as a craftsperson, but the debate and um, discussion that we have ongoing at each meeting and via flurry of emails, um, you know, justifying the champions who are choosing a work to acquire. Well, why? What's important? And it's hard to find that critique.
2: And it falls across a lot of kind of areas. Like sometimes we might say, well, you know, this person is, you know, this artist has been exhibiting, you know, for a couple of years. They're, they've established an exhibition practice. They want to keep working as an artist. It's not their first graduation show work. Um, so, you know, and they're showing some, you know, thoughtfulness in terms of how they're working with their materials or, the, you know the concept of their work and how the, the materiality and the and that concept work together. It might be that there a, a, a mid-career artist who's um, taken a shift in direction, and so that what we acquire represents you know a change in their thinking or a development in their thinking. So it's not that there's a set criteria. Um, as Robin said, it, it kind of that evolves out of the discussion that we have between ourselves about the importance of a particular piece of work in, in that artist's career.
0: So we're talking about craft works and all sorts of uh, pieces: ceramic, um,
2: metal, yeah, so, objects, yeah, so <laughs> the, the, the jewelry, <laughs> yeah, jewelry, um, metal ceramics for sure, textiles.
1: Mm -hmm. And we do collect, you know, it's a combination of all the things being in the right place at the right time, who can get to the show, who knows a show's going on, what money we have in the bank, who can get to the opening, who else can champion. So all these things Mm. have to coincide and then... And acquisition's made. It it really is about
0: being very um, having an active participation in the arts, isn't it? What you're saying,
2: absolutely. And and the engagement for me, the engagement with the other members of Bluestone has meant that I'm learning about you know art art forms that I'm not familiar with. Like I'm learning a lot from Robin about ceramics. Um, You know, my area is contemporary jewellery, so I've got a fair background in that, but. Um, ceramics and textiles are areas that I've not engaged with and I'm fascinated by you know things that come up because of those materials and and particular problems that artists have to solve and what the materials add to the kind of their thinking processes.
0: Fascinating. The other members of the uh, the Blue Stone Collection I mean I know they must have an engagement with the
2: arts but are they all working in the arts or? They're all connected they? in some way so some of the Some of the other members are also practising art or craftspeople. Some are more, I guess, their professional work life touches in the arts in some way. Um, And, you know, this is, you know, part of their personal interest. They all have, you know, contributions to make in terms of the debate and and the um, discussion that we have in the purchasing process. Um, But, yeah, not everybody's a practising craftsperson.
1: Um, And it's interesting. Early on we thought um, that we would have this really big membership and then then we would have this sort of curatorial body that happens. But that didn't really happen. So um... You know, it has
2: evolved, and I've seen this kind of evolve through various discussions about what we do about membership over the years, and it really has evolved you know, to a collection of relationships between the me- the membership and um, so it needs to start with a relationship of some sort in order for those other relationships to endure and I think having a massive mm-hmm. membership of, you know, 50 people or something like that, just, you know, people would drop off and that engagement wouldn't be nearly as... Um, as uh, intense
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah and it's has a lovely fluid thing with all associations you have new members in and a new energy comes and then you get this peak of of activity and then other people will drop back and it's just sort of ebbs and flows hmm. which is really nice hmm. and a beautiful that's a nice way to put it that it's it started with relationships very yeah. definitely work relationships and that's really how it has continued uh, um, people
0: can um, join but you know I suppose there's some requirements in terms of you yeah, know, we what, they're what we in. do
2: is um, we when we you know asking somebody to we ask them to uh, tell us about why they would be interested and what contribution they might make. It's a, quite a fluid process, and um, and then we make a formal invitation for them to join because they're they're joining the association and you know by that uh, taking on the responsibilities of the the association mm-hmm. um, when they do join. Now one thing
0: that really intrigued
2: me is I'm thinking okay at the end
0: of the 10 years the collection is donated to an institution what happens in the meantime where is the collection
2: Well that's one of the one of the big <laughs> glorious things about the Bluestone collection is that we keep it in our homes Oh yes. and so what it means is that we um, the works need to you know they need to have a robustness about them because they are in domestic situations you know they're in people's lounge rooms and bedrooms and hopefully not their kitchens but you you know they're being lived with and we every 6 months or so we bring them all in together and we have a swap meet and <laughs> swap them over yeah they're works that are being lived with which is a really you know they're not they're not being kept in you know climate controlled conditions They are living in the real world and, you know, the way that, and it's really nice having a piece, like we, I had, over the years I've had several pieces in our lounge room at home and, you know, you're looking at them all the time. There it is next to the telly or whatever it is and it gives you time to reflect on it and kind of think about it in, you know, in a way that you wouldn't if you were just going to visit it in a gallery. Something very
0: dynamic about um, living with with art, with craft. Um, yeah, and that knowing has been, that you're yes. living with it
1: for a, a certain amount of time and it nestles in with the other, other things in your collection and um, uh, we've started an Instagram account recently so we're encouraging shots of um, the, the works in domestic situations to so say this is my turn with, you know, Connie Agostino which is a recent acquisition that we've made. And um, actually I can take more... Um, Less robust works now because my boys have grown up. <laughs> I was always a bit fearful with about two to say, rambunctious with a, boys, with a big dog with a large tail. Yes, yes. yep, yep. <laughs> no. Yeah, so people take what they can. Yes, yeah, yeah. and desire. Yeah. yeah,
2: that's right. So you can say, "Look, I really hate that piece. I don't want it in my life." <laughs> and you know, that's one of the beautiful things about this collection: are there, there are pieces in there that you don't like necessarily um but it's interesting to engage with the process of how why that was acquired and you might appreciate it for um you know intellectual reasons but not aesthetic reasons or whatever mm. um, and then there are pieces that you do love and feel particularly like I want oh yes that was mine I wish I would live with that all the time
1: <laughs> actually this raises a big debate that we've constantly have about about jewelry is that jewelry is of the body and should be worn, but we have a rule that it it's not to be, be worn. worn. Oh, that's a really interesting one. And it yes. comes back again and again and yeah, again. Yeah, it
2: does. It's well, it's a tricky one, I guess, because it's at its most vulnerable if you wear it out and you know breaks or you lose an earring or something like that. Then um, it is particularly precarious. Um, so yeah, our our collecting rules around jewellery have kind of evolved as to pieces that are perhaps can be hung or shown like a small three-dimensional object or something like that.
1: Yeah, there's Um, quite a few objects, mm. isn't there, amongst our Mm. jewellery and gold and silver Yeah, Mm. yeah.
0: This is really interesting as you're talking about that. I imagine um, that people perhaps not familiar with contemporary jewellery might wonder about that um, because the obvious... We all wear jewellery. The obvious thing is what you see in jewellery shops, you know, it's, it's mm. you know, made to be worn. It can be small, all of those sorts of things. And it is, um, I guess the wonderful thing is about this collection, um, which is the next stage which we're at now, is where you release it, in fact, then into an institution so other people can see it mm. and enjoy it, is exposing people to these amazing works. Mm. Um, and that's something I like to talk about now which is um how did you decide to um uh donate the the, the collection to rmit
2: well we as robin said we knew quite early on that we wanted to um find a permanent home for the first 10 years of collecting um so the process really started Oh, four or five years ago about talking to you know various institutions, curators and what have you about what would be the sort of constraints or um, what would they be looking for if we were to offer it and just trying to get a scope, a feel of what that might be. but if it was getting close to t- the 10 years well, oh, we've got to do something about this, you know get on to it. So we decided to hold an exhibition and invite, all the collecting institutions that we could think of in Victoria to come along and have a look at the works. And from there, we did that. And from there, we invited expressions of interest. And that's the process that Mm. we used, Mm. really. And it came down to RMIT. And I think the main reasons were that we felt that the collection, you know, through RMIT's role in teaching a lot of the folk and... You know, some of us are now teaching here at RMIT. You know, that relationship was very strong and also RMIT's kind of obvious role in craft education mm. and the fact that RMIT has a, a solid and ongoing exhibition program through the gallery and other spaces around the, the campuses. And because it was a diverse collection that it fitted in kind of conceptually and in terms of form and material those were the kind of thinking that we put together mm. I guess in terms of why RMIT
1: yeah I'm so proud thinking back all those years ago we just gathered around my dining room table to <laughs> nuttle this out yeah. Yeah. and part of the constitution was you have to say what you're going to evaluate and we decided we would evaluate as a rule, at the 10-year point. So we picked up, and then with this whole new, a whole lot of jewellers, including Vin came in and had this space down at Docklands, perfect for an exhibition. So invited invited um, institutions in and galleries, but also the um, makers as well to see the whole collection, whole 21 pieces beautifully displayed at one, that one was, time. That was looked lovely. great.
2: Yeah, and we had um, Alison Ingalls, who um, uh, manages a curatorship program at Melbourne Uni, Open, open the event for us and she made a really interesting observation in that you know just she was looking around the works and she said that what, what stood out for her was that it was a collection that represented the collectors and um, it, you know it captures a period of time in Australian contemporary craft she was also really kind of very interested in the kind of the the democratic nature of the way that the organization was put together and you know, the accessibility of collecting so it was really nice to hear Alison's point of view about those sorts of things so that yeah that was a really nice kind of moment i think when we thought oh yeah we've done this mm. this is fantastic and you know the art most of the artists that we'd collected were able to be there which was A really nice moment because I think artists' work, you know, I know my work goes into a collection and you rarely hear about it ever again. It disappears into some vault somewhere. (laughs) Maybe it gets a showing, you don't know. Um, So for them to be able to re-engage with it and to engage with each other, I think was a a really nice moment.
1: It was a great night.
2: Mm.
0: I think the wonderful thing about the Bluestone Collection being at a university, being at RMIT, is that we lend out the collection, mm-hmm. collections that we have as well, pieces. So it, it does mean that, as you said, those works that you felt were significant from that time period will be, you know, sort of, um, I guess... Uh, uh, public for the curators, future people, um, you know, be able to make selections and uh, mm. and those sorts of loans, mm. um, as well as internally through the mm. university. So it does give more exposure. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Which
2: the fact that RIT is a researching institution is also really important in that, you know, these works become available to researchers, um, whether it's uh, students who are researching particular craft techniques or whether it's um kind of postgraduate research or even post postgraduate. <laughs> Higher degree. High degree. <laughs> Something like that. But yeah, so that and you know, and I know research is a, a you know, one of the activities of curatorial work as well. So that it it does have that you know, that relationship to ongoing knowledge development and um and historical knowledge development.
1: Yeah, and research is about exploration and taking risks. And these works that we've acquired are challenging. You know, an institution would not take a risk in acquiring works like this. So they're not from really well. So one of the other criteria is that the, that the um, artist has not been acquired already in established yeah. collections. So, yeah, they're challenging, they're risky, exciting pieces. Yeah. Although it's
2: interesting because a lot of the artists... Since the Blue Stone purchased their work, have been subsequently acquired mm. by National Gallery in various institutions around the country and overseas. So, mm-hmm. they are now collected.
0: Yes. <laughs> yeah. You're at the uh, the forefront, we which are. is uh, which is great. I guess as, and I hate to use the term ordinary people, because you have quite extraordinary in what you've been doing, and um, as artists, I always think artists are extraordinary anyway, is that you've, you know, done something that leaves a legacy already, and it's going to be important for craft in Australia, for artists, but also for students, um, as you said, mm. for research, and having this available to them, being able to see, I mean the most amazing thing is to being able to see works in you know real Mm -hmm. (laughs) rather than virtual but you don't get a sense of the materiality of how things are are made unless you see the object so at the beginning was that something that you sort of thought about or reflected on that that the impact that this might have on or maybe it's something that's evolved on actually donating
1: this collection no, not at the very start. That donation idea only came up through incorporation. We were really interested in being kind of provocative and sort of poking and saying, well, if you're not going to do it, we're acquiring, and look at us. You know, us, you know, what we pay per year, we are going to inquire because we believe that this is important. You know, NGV, the Cicely and Craft Award, was no longer, it had turned into a design award. Um, I did my postgraduate thesis on the state craft collection and, and understood the importance of that and that had finally been dispersed out into the regions. So it was Im- important to have collection that was historical and that's what it's ended up being. So it's, that's really exciting. But no, initially it was about getting together, critiquing, um, talking, being active, encouraging exhibition, getting out to exhibitions.
2: And I think, you know, in part some of that you know, the nuance of um, the research and opportunity for students and what have you to see the work did come through RMIT's um, proposal. And that's not something we expected, but Mm. certainly we're very delighted about.
0: Mm. Now, Ben, your family also has a a history of generous giving to RMIT. Um, Can you just briefly tell us about that?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Okay. Um, My mother... Decided to uh, hand over the our family holiday home down at Dramana, which is popularly known as the Butterfly House, and she'd inherited that from my grandparents. And we lived with it and loved it for a very long time, that had come to the point where we weren't weren't using it basically, and felt like it needed a new life. And Mum was very reluctant to sell it on the open market um, because she was, well, we were aware that the house has architectural significance. It was designed by Chancellor and Patrick back in 1954 and uh, sort of represents kind of the height of Australian modernism I think and you know it's a fairly way out design for its time and what have you and it was it's pretty much intact in terms of there's been no alterations it's got the same furniture that my grandparents purchased when they bought it it's got the same colour scheme it has been painted a few times but it's got the same colour scheme Um, you know the plantings that my grandmother did in the fifties and sixties are still there so it's of a little time machine really you know it's even it still has the manky I think cutlery <laughs> that they would have taken from their house in town down to the beach house you know as you do as you do <laughs> and the odd you know odd mixture of glassware and crockery and stuff like that so as I said we were not feeling like we were able to give it the life it deserved and Felt like it needed because of its architectural significance and its historical significance. We felt like it needed it needed a, a guardian in a sense, and we uh, approached RMIT, knowing its interest in design and architecture. Uh, Margaret Gardiner was the vice chancellor at the time, and she basically said, "Yes, we'd be very interested in taking it." and so we were really pleased that RMIT have been able to not only take ownership of the house but also to look after it. They've uh, modernised some of the facilities so that the showers work. Um,
0: <laughs> Indoor plumbing is always a great thing. Well oh, that's
2: right. I mean, they did sort of before but, you know, you had to know how to trick it into working. Um, And so now it's used for a Writers in Residence program that's particularly lovely it's a very small house and what it means is that a writer can spend some time down there working on finishing their thesis or their novel or whatever it might be. And from what I understand, it's used quite regularly. And also, you know, one of the stories I've heard recently is that... um, there's a a group of neighbours that have kind of adopted the house and its visitors and people keep an eye on what's going on down there and I think that's really nice and there's now a little Chancellor and Patrick um, group in Dramana where the house is, other people that own Chancellor and Patrick houses and they've all kind of come together around the Butterfly House and <laughs> RMIT's engagement with it, um, which is really nice. I think that, you know, that kind of community thing's great, but, you know, that's just a little side story. But that's right, we donated the the house.
0: It must have felt <clears throat> wonderful for the family to know that it was actually being used in a creative yeah. way as well. Yeah,
2: I think so. Looking as I said, we weren't using it, and an unused house is a very sorry Thing. And um, we were fortunate in that all of us already had homes um, and, you know, it would have been great to have the money from the sale of it but I think that the the reward that we get from knowing that it's been used and that it has, you know, a role in, in you know, a creative life or creative lives um, is a better reward from than the sale of the house would have been. Um, and it, it kind of... I see it as a bit of a kind of a legacy from my grandfather who was a bit of a, he. well, he was an autodidact. He finished school when he was 13 years old, had to go to work as a grocery boy, you know, came from a not very wealthy family and he was a really curious, intelligent man and by the end of his life he had run a successful business and was very interested in Australian native orchids and the conservation of those and you know that was his kind of passion and he'd left us this house and so we kind of thought that his kind of curiosity and interest and he's obvious you know without ever knowing it his uh, well from my point of view he he must have been interested in design or why would he have kind of commissioned this wacky place because it you know at the time that house, was looked like a spaceship had landed in on the hillside in Dramana, and it shocked a lot of people. So he must have he must have had some interest in contemporary design, and and yeah, his kind of level of curiosity and um, bravery. I guess we hope that that kind of that legacy continues through with the house.
0: I'm sure it does. Um, it has been such a benefit for the writing students. I hear that there are hopes that. Um, art you know, artists can join them and do collaborative works down there mm-hmm. and uh, as a thinking space mm. because it's a, a space that uh, sort of um, inspires for that yeah. reason. Yeah. And I just go back to those words, brave, curious, intelligent, mm. which also seem to sum up the Bluestone Collection <laughs> as a group and as, as a collection of works. And it is, um, again, a, a wonderful legacy that um, you've put together and I wonder, what what for the
1: next 10 years? Is there a Bluestone 2? Oh, there is there indeed. Is. Yes, <laughs> we're, we're six. We're just counting them on our fingers as we walked in. Six pieces for Bluestone 2 yeah. already, yes. Yeah.
0: Oh. And uh, so this is another 10-year project? Well, we've
2: actually put five years on it. Okay. Um, just because just we weren't so sure about how our energy was going to go. Um, but I sort of feel like, you know, that that the energy is still there for it so it may go on to 10 but we will reevaluate it five, five years and time. see what see where we are then
0: how exciting a five-year plan is always good yeah. especially at the beginning of a decade yeah. well, that's <laughs> well, right well thank you bin and robin uh for talking about the bluestone collection donation the bluestone collection will be regularly shown around rmit campus mm-hmm and available for research. And the first temporary display of the collection will be at the refurbished RMAT Carlton Library, uh, and you can see it from mid-March. Thank you both for joining me.
1: Thank you.